Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show with the host that was once a member of the Jamaican bobsled team. Oops, wrong show. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on the uh, on Monday night, Monday night, March 7th, and more on that in just a moment. But on this week's show, uh, in Pipe Parts, we have a return by Ash from the Chaps Guide, and we're going to talk specifically about hats and barber jackets. And then my guest is uh, Fred Hanna. You get more of me and Fred, or uh, as I'm calling it, inside Fred's head, or uh, two doctors dissing on pipes. So we got two more topics. And remember, those are recorded. Yeah, the, we recorded them in an order, and then I cut them and moved them around and wiggled them around just so that they're in order. Uh, and then uh, music by request, mailbag and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And it is March 7th, and at the, on this evening I am recording four shows. Why? Well, tomorrow's Tuesday, so that's one. And then on uh, Wednesday we leave for, uh, <laughs> we won't be back until April 1st. So we are going down to Florida because believe it or not, I'm old enough to have a son that is turning 30. So we'll be with him for his 30th birthday. And then uh, two days after that, we leave on a 16-night cruise. If all goes as planned, uh, we'll be heading across the Atlantic on the ship and uh, getting into England. So 16 nights. Yeah, uh, we do have to pass two COVID tests beforehand, and uh, as long as we pass those tests, well, we'll be there. Uh, but don't worry, I am pre-recording enough shows so that you will not miss a Pipes Magazine radio show episode. I promise you what, uh, I promise you, we will not let you down. All right? All right, so let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. back on the pipes magazine radio show and i'm uh, pleased to welcome back to the show for pipe parts uh the host presenter of the chaps guide ash ash welcome back to the st- welcome back to the show well thanks for having me back brian it's a pleasure to be here again hopefully everybody has gone and uh checked out your youtube channel and this time i i want to get uh, somewhat pipe specific with you but the the pipe specific part is uh, oftentimes us pipe smokers have to smoke outside because I I think in England I think you have to be a, a yeah you have to be a, at least three flaps of a bird's wing away from a building in order to smoke um, but we have to smoke outdoors we have to smoke in the elements and you've you've covered proper hats as well as the barber jacket in your videos so if you could just give us a briefing we'll start off with the hats so what besides we americans have introduced and ruined the world by the by the birth of the baseball cap so we'd like to apologize right now but what are the proper hats for outdoor weather especially you being in england you must have Tons of experience of just wonderful, lovely weather. Oh, for sure. We get good weather. I mean, yeah. uh, people always complain about the weather in the UK, but, you know, it needs to rain for it to be this green and sectored isle, which Britain is famous for being. You know, <laughs> deserts are not much fun, but to have greenery, it needs to rain. 
So you need to be prepared. And uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, smoking in the UK does involve uh, being outdoors and being prepared for the elements is, you know, certainly for me, does involve a hat because um, I know that the, the listeners can't see me, but I'm a bit short on the hair front here. Yeah. Uh, my hair kind of went south in my, uh, my early 40s. It doesn't bother me. I like keeping a sort of tight uh, sort of bit of hair. But there's one thing I cannot stand, and that is rain landing on my head and running down the back of my neck. So for me, a hat is something which is really important. Who other advantages as well, of course, you know, keeps your head warm, adds a few inches to your height if you're a person who's concerned about your height. But for me, the sort of hats which I typically wear, if I'm in a sort of casual environment, as I am most of the time, let's be honest, uh, I tend to wear a flat cap. Now, flat caps, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with them, newsboy caps, whatever you may refer to them as um, from, you know, wherever you live. They are pretty much universally accepted as a non-formal hat. Uh, Lots of people won't wear a more formal hat because they're concerned about standing out from the crowd. Because as you so rightly say, everybody these days wears the ubiquitous sort of baseball cap. So if you wear anything else, you're going to look a bit different unless perhaps you're wearing a you know, a woolen skull cap of some kind. So for me, a flat cap is always the great option if you're more casually dressed, you know, wearing wet weather clothing or whatever, because it fits in with pretty much everything. I mean, I've got a waxed cotton one for when it's raining, uh, and most of mine are made of tweed, I have to say. So, you know, you've got a little bit of style, but without being, as we say, a little bit too ostentatious. And that gives a good protection from the rain off the front of your head as well as on the top. And it's great for the, for the cold weather because it does hold down tight on your head and, and covers your head well uh, because I, I'm catching up to you quickly in what I now call the economical hairstyle, uh, which is dramatically less shampoo. Uh, my, my blow dryer is getting very lonely. Uh, but with it, with a flat cap, that's something that you would wear if you're, you know, just out on a walk in the park or out, you know, just a, on a casual thing, or maybe running from the car to the store. You throw the cap on, and then off it goes. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, the beauty of a flat cap, as well as I'm sure most folks will picture one in their mind as we're talking about this, is that there's no form to them. You know, you you can throw it on your head. When it's uh, done its business and you're going indoors, you can fold it up and slip it into your pocket. There's no concerns about having to keep it in its shape or protect it somewhat, as you may have to do with a sort of more formal hat. But uh, that's the beauty of the flat cap. And, you know, they last forever. They're never going to wear out. They're very, very functional hats at a very modest price. And, uh, yeah, I've probably got five or six in my collection now. And uh, they see the light of day pretty much all year round. Now, with that, with that hat, would you also try to color match it to the jacket, to the outerwear that you're wearing? Um, you can do. I mean, it depends how stylish you want to be. Uh, generally, I, I kind of have tweed-type hats, which, you know, they've got that sort of greeny, browny appearance to them, which I think fits with pretty much most other things. Unless you're wearing, a, you know, a black overcoat or something like that, it's going to be comparable, so it's not too bad. And then if you want to go a little more fashionable, maybe you're wearing a, a sports coat or a suit. Is that, is that the time for the fedora or the, the more shaped hat? Um, well, I mean, I think you, the thing is in this day and age that the more formal hats, as you talk about the, the fedora, trilby, things like that, they've really fallen into abeyance in use by the general public. I mean, I've, I've, I've said this before in videos on, on my channel. I, I live in a, in a town of 100,000 people. And if I stood in the middle of the high street today, I very much doubt that more than one or two gentlemen would walk past wearing what I would determine to be a more formal hat, you know, a, a, a bowler hat, a fedora, a trilby or whatever, Homburg, because, you know, everybody's wearing a baseball cap. If they're wearing a hat at all, increasingly men are not covering their heads, um, which is very different. You know, if you think, if you look back at any group of men in the 1940s, 1950s, historic image, they'll all be wearing hats. Yep. Now, because they're practical, they're warm, they're functional, they keep the rain off your head. But I don't know why we've gone on this journey. Well, I say I don't know why. I do know why. It's the hairstyles of the 1970s, I think, when, when men started styling their hair 
And even today, men who are fortunate enough to have hair, of course, you know, they put product in their hair. I've got an 11 year old son and, you know, he, he won't go to school without putting a, you know, a sort of swathe of stuff through his hair. So his hair sticking out. <laughs> and of course, when you're spending that sort of effort sculpting your hair, you're not going to put a hat on. And I think that's where the, the rot set in, I think, in the 1970s when, when men started taking more interest in their hair. And, and of course, then uh, there's also other maintenance issues with the shaped hats where you don't want to, you have to have a hat form to set it on and you don't want to let the brim get out of shape. And, but I do love, uh, I, I do love traveling with my Trilby. It's warm, comfortable, and, uh, keeps the rain out of my glasses. Yeah. I mean, my, a Trilby is my favorite, uh, slightly more formal hat. I mean, I've got a couple of Trilbys upstairs, three or four actually. And uh, they are, I think they're the nice middle ground for a gentleman who perhaps doesn't really feel like they want to stand out from the crowd to the extent of wearing perhaps a fedora or a Homburg hat. They just want that in between. I think the Trilby occupies that space. You know, it's not too formal, yet it's quite acceptable with most nice clothing. Uh, My father, 90 years of age, he's got a Trilby that he bought way before I was born still wears it uh, every time he goes out right now. So that hat is way up in its sort of mid-50s in age. Still (laughs) looks great, i got to say. So, you know, it's an investment which can last you for decades, the hat. You're never going to gain so much weight that your hat isn't going to fit. So it's something (laughs) you can spend money with confidence on. Yeah. And then let's uh, tell us, what is the proper, the barber jacket? Because that, that is something that is not popular at all here in America. No, that's a shame. Well, the barber jacket is basically, um, it's a wax cotton material. So Barber, the original company, they, uh, they created this wax cotton material, which was used to repel water. And it's very hard wearing. It's very tough. And uh, I believe they started, I can't remember the exact date. I did a video on it a while ago. Um, they started making uh, uniforms for the military as many things in men's style are actually tied to military uh, usage. And the barber material is extremely resilient, very durable. It'll last for decades. And it's basically just cotton, which has been impregnated with a certain type of wax. Um, I've had one for many years. And in fact, I just bought one the other day for my young son, bought one on on, uh, eBay for a fraction (laughs) of its price uh, because they last for so long, you know, and you can retreat them. To, uh, to, to keep that water resistance going. And they, they build a wonderful patina as the years pass as well, because they, you know, that, that wax treatment, uh, you can retreat them yourself if you want to keep it, uh, you know, extremely water resistant, send it back to the factory, they'll retreat it every year or so for you. Uh, but it takes on different shades and colors. And uh, it is quite an individual garment. They're very workman like they um, you know you often see members of the royal family for instance wearing them when they're you know in Balmoral or Sandringham you know out on their shoots uh, and they are just such a functional garment I wear one pretty much all the time in the winter because um, they're, they're great they keep you warm they keep you dry and they've got that nice element of style which uh, really just hits the spot and for us pipe smokers, they have many pockets on the outside, so they're great for carrying a pouch of tobacco and a pipe and going out on a long walk, and they cover your waist nicely, so they give even more added protection further down the than just a normal waistcoat length. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, for, for somebody who carries... Uh, you know, accoutrement associated yeah. to their hobby, such as perhaps a, a gentleman pipe smoker. Um, they're perfect. I mean, I've often described the, the, the standard sort of barber jacket as very akin to a military combat jacket. I, I used to be in the military and, you know, you wear a combat jacket and you get so used to that functionality with a, with a jacket. All those pockets, very useful. Everything has got its place. And a barber jacket is like the combat jacket for the civilian gentleman, I think, you know, perfect for daily use. That is absolutely wonderful. Ash, thank you again for joining us and uh, look forward to doing more with more of these with you again. Thanks, Brian. Nice to speak to you again today. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. 
Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mila Folge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And here goes um, you know, question number one with uh, the uh, with the Fred discussions. So this question from the mind of Dr. Fred Hanna, doctor of psychology, doctor of pipes. <laughs> Do you smoke a bowl all the way down most of the way or part of the way? And uh, all right, Fred, what's your what's your answer to this? Are you are you one of those magical smoke it all the way down to pure dry dust and then the little pixie comes out and the bowl is done? <laughs> okay, why? Well, I, I was with you until the pixie. Um, the for me, a lot of it depends on the tobacco. Um, I find that some tobacco, for example, flakes, some flakes will not burn all the way down. And others, uh, especially aged English tobacco, um, cut in classic ribbon form, if, especially if it's aged, it will burn all the way down and then surprise you because there's nothing left. <laughs> and, and so um, that happens. Um, for me, I, um, so, so a lot of, a lot of it depends on what kind, what a tobacco I'm smoking. Now, all things being equal, uh, I generally will not smoke all the way down to the bottom, but pretty close. Um, and, uh, another thing too, is that when it starts to go out near the bottom, uh, I, am hesitant to put a flame down there because I don't want the draft hole. In other words, where the, the shank drilling meets the tobacco chamber. I don't want that to burn. And, um, I made that mistake when I was first smoking a pipe and uh, I've been conscious of it ever since. So in, in answer to the question, I'll smoke it probably, I'd say 90% of the way down. Um, and like I said, in some cases all the way, and in other cases um, a little bit less. Why do, do you, you why do you think you have better success with the ribbon cuts versus the flakes? Now, that's a real good question. <clears throat> flakes... Um, this flakes vary. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for example, um, some flakes are easier to rub out yeah. and they're easier to, literally to break down into, um, you know, if you are rubbing them out they're they're easier to break down into smaller pieces. There's other, there's other tobaccos that you might as well try to rub out a, um, <laughs> you know, a, a car tire because, <laughs> um, I mean, for example, um, dark star is one of those yeah. when I want to smoke dark star, which isn't much anymore, but you know, and I still have a few tins of it. I'm, you know, it's so scarce now, but, um, when I would smoke dark star in the old days, I'd put it in a food chopper. Yep. And, um, one of, I, I learned a trick from, uh, when was this 15, 20 years ago, we had a meeting for the Philadelphia pipe club. I remember, and they invited, um, some of these champion, um, uh, smokers, you know, pipe smokers, um, who entered the pipe smoking contest in Europe. 
And they had one guy there who offered a really good tip. <clears throat> he he held the world record. Um, he could make the 3.3 or 3.5 grams of tobacco. You ready? His world record was three hours and five minutes, man. <laughs> Damn. Damn, how do you do that? Well, anyway, yeah. he was a very knowledgeable guy. He gave us a, literally a one-hour presentation on how to win a um, tobacco smoking contest, pipe smoking contest. So <clears throat> one of the things that he said he did was that when they gave him the 3.3 grams, he took his tamper and he literally flattened every one of those little cubes, those, one of the, those little burly cubes, and he flattened them, um, in other words, so that they weren't cubes anymore. <laughs> and, you know, apparently you're allowed to do this. And then he loaded his tobacco after he did that, and he said, that helps an amazing, um, to an amazing degree, to keep the tobacco burning. So, one of the things that I applied from him, although I confess I entered the pipe contest that day, and um, it was so boring that I, after 38 minutes, I just excused myself and said, "I can't do this shit anymore." <laughs> yeah. um, because as an aside, Brian, <clears throat> I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm smoking a pipe that I would never normally smoke because they supplied the, the pipe. Yeah, brand I'm new pipe. I'm smoking a pipe that I would never normally smoke, and I'm smoking a tobacco that I would never normally smoke, yep. and I'm trying to make it last as long as possible. What kind of shit is this? Yeah. So I said to hell, that was the last time I ever entered a smoking contest. But anyway... <laughs> Um, so what I have done in the past then is I would put a very thick rubbery, um, kind of, um, flake and put it in the, in the, uh, um, uh, food chopper and literally after it was done, I would, you know, flatten each little, uh, bit you know that whatever's necessary just like the guy I forgot his name the german guy who taught us to do that and it works pretty good that way and huh. so um other flakes are much much easier to smoke and so i don't have to go through those i'll do the folding stuff or you know i'll do my air pocket technique that i talk about in my book the perfect smoke um and you know, available on Amazon.com as a Kindle only, but go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's Kindle only these days. Um, but the, uh, but the, you know, the bottom line was that um, to, to answer your question is that flakes vary. Yeah, yeah. No, there are some flakes that I've had problems rubbing out, and you know, I, I've probably told this story 12 or 14 times before I don't go to rest. I don't go to Mexican restaurants and order fajitas because that's basically assemble it yourself food. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't like, I'm, I'm not preferential to flakes because I feel like you've got to manipulate it yourself and I want them rubbed out all the way except for the rare occasion. But yeah, so I, no, I was just kind of I was kind of interested in the differences because I think flakes do get a little chunky, clumpy towards the bottom where a ribbon cut you can yeah. really yeah, you, you can really manipulate the the bottom half of the bowl better. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah. And you know, as far as that goes, um Latakia, some Latakia is very chunky like that too. Mm -hmm. And it will be uh, you know, it won't burn all the way to the bottom. Yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm pretty much the same way you are. I smoke the bowl all the way down until I'm probably right above the draft hole, uh, because yeah. I don't want hot ash coming up the draft hole at me. I yeah. find, I find that the tobacco in the bottom is start, you know, will start to get bitter and stronger because it's filtered everything above it. So you know, I smoke until I enjoy it. 
I kind of look at the, you know, the, yeah, I can hear pipe smokers around the world cursing us going, well, you're wasting tobacco. You know, well, when you go out for, when you go out to eat ribs for dinner, you're not eating all the meat off of the bone. You're least, you know, you can't unless you're, unless you're doing some, something wrong with the bone at the table. Absolutely. You know, when I eat corn off the cob, I don't eat the cob. Yeah. Sorry. And I'm going to throw it away. Call me, call me guilty of waste. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And, and if when tobacco stops tasting good, I ain't going to smoke it. What do I care? Yeah. So that, that bottom portion did its job for me. It filtered it. It, it absorbed some of the moisture. Yeah. I use a pipe cleaner during the smoke. So that gets even more of the moisture out, but that bottom portion of the bowl is meant to be there. And you are absolutely right in people need to be really careful in burning the bottom of their bowls or burning that draft hole uh, because where that draft hole comes into the tobacco chamber, there can be some really small, thin, uh, thin wood tolerances in there that if you burn that too much, I've seen this before. If you burn that draft hole, you can open up that draft hole. And yeah, I've seen pipes where, yeah, I could tell the guy smoked the bottom of the bowl so hard that he burned the draft hole open, and pretty soon you could drive a truck through that part of the of the draft hole down there. Right, and the more the the more the pipe is bent, the thinner that angle is there at the top of the draft hole where it yep. enters the the tobacco chamber, and it's easier it is to burn. Yeah, yeah. So you got to simply be... because of the angle. And you got to be careful tamping around that too, because you can tamp real hard and knock a piece off. So, uh, if you're, yeah. And so, one of the things that uh, I invented the pipe mud technique for was to be able to fill in those burnt draft holes. Um, because why did I do it? Well, because when I was younger, I burned a few draft holes and I always tried to figure <laughs> out how to fix it. And pipe mud, did the job but yeah. then i also learned that um i shouldn't be smoking that way either and now i will say that one thing that does help me is and i think i've had i think jeff grasick and i have talked about it on the show uh is the bottom of the bowl there's basically three shapes down there you can either have a v shape that comes to a point in the tobacco chamber you can have that real wide flat bottom which i think sheraton used a lot or you can have that kind of modified U-shape in there that a lot of yeah. new pipes are made with. Yeah, Europe, Europe makes bowls like that. Yeah, so that, that U-shaped tobacco chamber is really highly beneficial to getting the most out of your tobacco. Right, I, I totally agree. And the conical, at first glance, that conical bowl that goes down to a point at the bottom of the bowl at first glance it looks like that's probably the most efficient but it's not no it gives you that big wide flat area down there and then you've got tobacco all over the place well no i what i meant was the the conical that um goes down to a single point oh the v-shape right where the draft hole yeah, is. yeah 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 that's and yeah and those unless, are problematic as well unless it's a dublin but Anyway, yeah, so we're so we're both on the same page with this. You know, don't don't sweat smoking it all the way down to the bottom, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And if a pixie jumps out of your bowl at the end, let me know. Um, I want to get that on YouTube. So, well, I I'll tell you what. Um, I'm going to say this now. I've never said this to anybody. I have trained pixies to load the bowl for me <laughs> and. And to relight the bowl as it burns down, okay? And um, and I also expect a little show, okay? Uh, <laughs> I want some singing and dancing and whatever else works, you know. Were those uh, pixies that loaded that bowl of uh, McBaron's Rustica that you enjoyed so much? <laughs> you would have to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I heard somebody just... I heard somebody just named that stuff the pipe, the tobacco of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up that question. <laughs> yes, sir. And we'll be back in just a minute.
Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new, innovative series, Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and here is uh, part two for you. This is uh, me and Fred discussing one topic. All right, Fred, the question that you have written down this time is, are you ready? Mm-hmm. What degree of moisture do you prefer in your tobacco? If you prefer dry, how dry do you like it? So um, you first, because I'm easy. Oh, okay. Um, I have experimented a lot with this over the years. There was a time when I liked it to be um, fairly moist. Uh, in other words, you open the tin and you push down on them with your finger and it leaves a very slight uh, impression if it's a flat tin. if Obviously, if it's um, a tin where there's not much compression, then you... Uh, uh, I, I used to like it, even with McClellan's, um, sometimes people would think that those had a lot of moisture. There was a time when I would smoke those, you know, fresh out of the tin. Um, then as time went on, I, uh, I started to just naturally move towards more dry tobaccos. And I began to realize that I had carried a hidden um prejudice or a hidden bias is probably the better word um a hidden bias for thinking that you know when i would eat vegetables or whatever um i would like them to be slightly moist and i carried that bias into pipe tobacco which was completely i found um inappropriate and i started experimenting with drier tobaccos and what i found was of course what you know, most people already know is that when you have a moist tobacco and you smoke it, it's the steam very often that uh, from the burning tobacco, the steam is what actually um, disturbs the tongue. Yeah. And in terms of tongue bite or whatever. And we know that a lot of those old aromatics, of course, were very goopy. And when they would burn, um, the steam coming off of that literally would boil a person's tongue. 88% um, goop by volume. Yeah, right. So, um, we, uh, so I, then I made a, a visit. I don't know when it was maybe seven or eight, nine years ago. I, um, went to visit, um, everybody's teacher, Fred Janusik. Um, who I've known literally since 1978 or 79. Long story. I, I just had the uh, the opportunity from Toledo, Ohio, to meet him. He was in in Green Bay, Wisconsin, still is. And Fred is like um, you know the old master. You know, he was showing me the tobaccos that he smokes, and they're all bone dry. I mean, you know, if you push too hard in this tobacco, it turns to dust. <laughs> and he says, yeah, that's what he, uh, he says, yeah, that's how I smoke them. I say, Fred, I mean, don't, aren't they going to burn really hot? And he said, not if you smoke them, right? So I started playing around with that. And, and you know what? It was a major lesson. I no longer am anywhere near as concerned about moisture in the tobacco, um, unless there's, um, you know, it's very, very noticeable. Um, so I let it dry for a while. But Fred taught me that, you know, um, if you do it right, you can have a very, very dry tobacco and a very, very cool smoke when it burns. Damnedest thing. So if you're smoking a dry, dry, dry tobacco, do you, I, I'm going to assume that you have to pack it uh, a little differently because 
if it's bone dry and you pack it too loose, it's going to go up like kindling. Uh, you know, so you, so you you want to you want to probably vary the packing. Uh, the yes, that's true. Um, and and I'll I, you know I'll, I'll uh, see obviously if you push down too hard on that tobacco, it's like autumn leaves. It's just going to go and burn. You know, be crushed into dust. Yeah. You know, and <clears throat> um, but the thing is, is that um, the nature of most of the tobacco is that it still um, will take some tamping, and um, and I, I uh, uh, basically um, just fill the bowl uh, by um, just a, a general feed, you know, just mm-hmm. dropping the, the bits into the bowl. I don't hardly tap it at all, but I get it, you know, I tamp it a little bit, just so that you know it'll be an even burn but obviously you don't have to worry about it burning very much because it's going to do that um on its own and uh and once you get used to it it's actually quite tasty and i've thanked fred several times since then um for that little tip i mean he wasn't out to teach me anything but um it sure was a good lesson he he was out to whoop you if he could but um he what he 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 was out to whoop you if he could just for fun um but did does the moisture level change for you do you want a wetter or drier smoke depending on if you're smoking a virginia or an english well that's a good question see fred smokes all virginia Mm -hmm. um and so obviously everything that he smokes um, you know, that's bone dry is Virginia. Um, and he was for years and years, a fan of, uh, Dunhill, um, a light flake. Yeah. Um, and, and, my, but I, I found that, um, English tobacco, same thing. Okay. Damnedest thing. Now, one thing for sure though, I know this is going to sound weird and I don't, exp- I, I can't explain it. Maybe you can. But when I open up a tin of um, McClellan's English tobaccos, they don't taste right until you've actually left them open for a couple of days. Um, sometimes I, you know, I'll open the tin of Legends. In fact, just uh, last week I opened a, a tin of Legends, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, Brian, it didn't taste right right out of the can. I just I knew I was breaking my rule. I said, oh, hell with it. Who cares? And so I loaded up the, the legends right out of the freshly opened tin. And it's I'm thinking, oh, well, this isn't as good as I remember it. And then two days later, I smoked it again. And I thought, wow, this shit is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, well, that's, that's the same exact thing as aerating a, uh, uh, yeah, aerating a red wine. Uh, you know, after it's been it, the, the wine and the, and especially with when you're dealing with tobaccos that are, you know, five, seven, 10 years old, uh, they've all been stewing in that air that's in there and stewing in themselves for all that time. So oftentimes I'll find that, you know, yeah, even with my regular, uh, you know, my regular Acadian ribbon. Um, I'll find out that if I, you know, when I first open a tin, uh, first of all, going back to the original question, I like it dry enough that it's not wet, but enough moisture in it so that if you press it, it doesn't crack. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, I like it a little bit pliable still, but, Mm -hmm. and, and even after the tobacco that I've got now is, you know, been sitting in the can for 15 years, it's still a little too moist when I, when I open the can. So, uh, yeah, but opening those cans originally allows them to get rid of all that old air and get new air in there and just kind of allows it to breathe. So, so that's interesting. I haven't heard the wine metaphor used to uh, explain that before, but I think maybe there's something to it. So how long then when you, so say for example, you have a tin of your Acadian ribbon. Yeah. And, 
you uh, open the tin, uh, how long do you now? Here's my question: Do you let it after it's opened? Do you put the uh, plastic top back on it, or do you let it sit without a top on it? And how long do you let it sit with or without the top? So I open it up, and the trick that I've learned is I take the last five grams from the previous tin. And again, keep in mind, I'm smoking these one tin a week, so I've always got a tin of it open. Oh, yeah, there we go. Go ahead. So the minute I look at my tin of tobacco and go, okay, I'm three, four hours away from the, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm in trouble here. I need to reload. Uh, mm. I put the, I take the last five grams or so, you know, maybe a bowl full of what's in this, in the already open tin. I dump that, open up the new tin, let it open up and breathe for five minutes or so, whatever. Then I dump the new, the remaining tobacco from the old tin in and close it up, give it a shake and let it sit for a couple of hours at least. And by letting it do that, uh, the older, the tobacco from the previous tin is pretty dry because I've been in and out of that tin for, you know, four or five days. So the tin's yeah. been open, the tin's been closed, had my grubby mitts all in it, you know. Maybe a hair fell off my head and it's in there too, you know. <laughs> uh, but I take that, I, I use that old, the smaller, drier stuff that's always at the bottom of the tin. I use that to help dry down the next tin. And it, gotcha. yeah. And I, and I get a little aeration in there. Now, if I'm being really particular, which I've been known to do it occasionally, but I'm getting lazy in my old age. Um, I'll even dump out the contents of the tin completely and dig around and look for stems and clumps. Cause as perfect as Mike McNeil thinks he is, he's not, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'll pull out stems and every once in a while I'll see a clump that got in there that didn't get spun out completely or, and then I'll, you I'll, know, you should, you should take those, those stems and keep them and then make a big package to send to Mike. I know? I was actually working on that and then Mary advised me not to do that. Cuz oh, why I, because he he might put them in his salad? No, he might th uh, she might throw them at me. Um <laughs> oh, Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, this has, this has nothing to do with the topic at all, but at one point I thought, you know, all these stems I'm paying for them by weight right so but stems aren't supposed to be in there so i thought well you know you get two or three stem pieces per tin it's no big deal but over time if you add it up and fill up a 50 gram tin of stems and send it back a bit uh, you owe me a tin of real tobacco uh, <laughs> right. you know us pipe guys can be thrifty Oh, that, that is hilarious. Uh, um, reminds you know, me. That's another question. We should have wrote this question um, down. Um, how much, you know, how, speaking of thrifty, some people will not waste tobacco no matter what. I mean, they just will not waste tobacco. On the other hand, if I taste the tobacco and it tastes like shit, it's gone, man. That hits the goddamn trash bucket faster than anything. And other people, they open up a tin, and it they'll tell you it tastes like shit, but they're smoking it anyway because that's some kind of duty that their daddy taught them or some shit. Who knows what? Um, what you know? I, so I'm not saying we can talk about it if you want, but I'd like to hear your take on that someday. No, I mean uh, on that on that note, the if I have something that I just you know I'll give it. I, I really do subscribe to uh, what all the what all the tobacco people said is that you really don't understand or know a tobacco until you've smoked at least an ounce, maybe 50 grams of it, and you've tried it at different humidity levels, different size pipes, different packing styles. Uh, if it gets to the point where, you know, I know it's a <laughs> I know it should be in my wheelhouse, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some friends that I pass them along to. Uh, our our pipe club meeting 
when we were having them regularly, they all knew that there you were know, tins I that would go I, out. Yeah. I do it. I do it too with the Chicago guys. Whenever we meet, and we haven't been meeting because of COVID, um, but when we meet, I will give away a lot of those tobaccos. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's really bad, I I don't feel so bad. I don't. I won't even give it away. But see, um, I don't think. See, I don't think it's that the tobacco's bad. It's just that it's not right for me. So well, I well sometimes Brian, when something <laughs> doesn't when something doesn't have taste. Or it leaves a you know bitter flavor in the back of your mouth, or it's got some kind of casing that you had no idea what's going to be in there until you smoked it. Um, I, I'm sorry that those moments of discovery are also for me moments of horror. And <laughs> well, you me, that's, that's why I call I call that tobacco terrorism. Right there. You are a PhD and a doctor of pipes and the author of a book, and you must be the leading expert on your own opinion, but you're wrong, but yes. Um. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I am the leading expert in my own opinion, unless you talk to my wife. She knows my opinion better than yeah. I do. Anyway. Now, you did, um, you did mention something that I want to touch on is that if there's a casing or a flavor on a tobacco, sometimes yeah. if you dry it all the way down or almost all the way down, you'll evaporate a lot of that casing off. And if, that's a good point too. Yeah. yeah so if I'm you, glad you said that. Yeah. So if there's something, a little bit of something in there that's bothering you and you run down the moisture and dry it down, you can get rid of that something and you may find out that <laughs> what's underneath is something that you really don't like as well. Uh, but you also may find something that you really do like. So, yeah, that's a good point. But then the other problem is what if you get a tobacco that's completely tasteless, you know, it's like smoking, uh, you know, uh, autumn leaves freshly, you know, or recently fallen from the tree and there's just no flavor at all. What do you do with that? For me, I toss it. I, you know, I, um, what, see, some people will say, well, you mix other tobaccos in it. Well, why would I re- mix other tobaccos? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Into so, something that already has no taste. Why don't I just smoke the other tobaccos I would mix in there? But you see, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Some people have this very, very thrifty, um, you know, thing about wasting stuff. I probably, you know, I've, it probably comes from the days of the depression, you know, back in the thirties. Um, but I'm sorry, I don't have that mindset. I won't, I'm too old. I ain't going to smoke trash. I got better things to do. I didn't live through the depression, but I will squeeze a toothpaste tube until the inside lining is coming out. <laughs> yeah. So, do let me ask you this. Do you ever use the inside lining as toothpaste? <laughs> no, but going back to tobacco, um, if it's some, if it's something that I don't, if it's something that's not working for me, but it tastes similar to something else, I may use it to just kind of water down a little bit or, okay. you know, right. sprinkle three grams into a 50 gram tin and then you've bumped it up by 53 grams and you're still smoking it. If it's not, cl- <laughs> you know, if it's not close I save it and then my pipe club guys know that I'll walk in and I'll put, I'll, I'll literally put them in the middle of the table and go, these are not coming home with me. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's feeding frenzy at the piranha pool. Um, or the other thing that I've done is tobacco makes a great, um, insecticide for flower beds. So actually there's something to that. Yeah. It actually puts nitrates back into the ground and helps keep some insects away. Uh, so I'll just throw it on the flower beds and yeah, back to mother nature. Yeah, it okay. goes. So, so I got to ask you now a very sensitive question. You ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever put any tobacco on a salad and mm-hmm. then add a dressing mm-hmm. over it? No, no, but, but, <laughs> you know, the, yeah, but. you know, those potpourri home fragrance warmers that people, oh, yeah, sure. yeah. when I was working for certain tobacco factories that had a lot of heavy aromatic goopy stuff 
And if we got stuff that went bone dry or bad and we couldn't sell it, I'd bring it home and we'd use it as potpourri on those little warmer plates. No shit. Yeah. Whoa, I love it. Yeah. Um, see, I think I, I think I just think that there is a huge market as yet unexplored for um, delis, you know, um, <laughs> you know, various delis to make what's called, for example, the sandwich called the aromatic ham. <laughs> see. And and except it would be aromatic tobacco on the ham, um, you know, and, uh, and a variety of uh, um, flavorings, like what you were saying about with, with licorice. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, there's just, who knew? Who knew that licorice would be bought in such huge quantities by Marlboro cigarettes? Yeah. You know, that just tells me that licorice has more potential. We should put it on on um ham sandwiches and sprinkled on steaks on the grill <laughs> you know and uh you know i don't know so, i think that we I, I, I just i'm just think, i'm just guessing in all of your thousands of jobs none of them was ever head chef in a restaurant <laughs> you know i've had as you know i've had 45 jobs i actually yeah. counted but I have never worked in a restaurant. Never. I don't know why. I just never ended up working in a restaurant. On behalf of humanity, we all say thank you. Yeah, no shit. People look at me and say, I don't want him anywhere near my <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Whatever he's making, I don't want to eat. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. So, so I, think, I think we've covered dry tobacco fairly, or what moisture yeah. level we like our tobacco yeah, at, right? We did. I yeah. think we did. All right. And I hope you enjoyed the discussions with uh, Fred, and I hope nobody was offended, and I hope maybe you learned something. And we'll be back in just a minute. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. I uh, hope you enjoyed me and Fred, and there is still more of it to come. So, Lots of it, in fact. Uh, music by suggestion from Jennings. Uh, this is a guy named Tony Rice, and I think, but I couldn't find out proof, but I think we've played him before, but uh, bluegrass and just a, you know, just a great guitar player. Uh, this is a song called Devlin.
is Tony Rice, T-O-N-Y-R-I-C-E, and you can find him on Spotify just like I did. You, Daddy, have an email. As always, comments or questions can be emailed directly to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or you can post them on Pipes Magazine right there on the radio show page on pipesmagazine.com. And uh, it may take me a while to get back to you because I'm traveling, but don't worry about it. And if you do email me, I may not reply to you. I may just read it right here on the show. Well, I may definitely read it right here on the show. Uh, going back to uh, last week with Mark Dion, so many comments about it that, uh, you know what, we'll break them up into two so you'll get some next week. Uh, Bluegrass Brian says, I've always enjoyed Mark's articles in the NASPC newsletter. In fact, it's always the first one I read when the latest newsletter arrives. Uh, Virginia Piper says Mark made for a very interesting interview and I'll certainly be adding his Mill River Smoke to my reading list. Ask the Pipe Maker was similarly interesting, although I leave any pipe modifications to the experts for the time being. Thanks for another great episode. You're welcome. Yeah, and I agree. I leave all this, all the expert stuff to the experts. Uh, and then uh, Jason posted uh, i always read mark's articles in the naspc newsletter a great newspaper writer he always mentions being out and about with a pipe a habit that my late grandfather had as well excellent conversation and show uh and then uh thank you jason and then uh, the usual suspects including my friend dino says a wonderfully packed and wide-ranging show tonight Thanks for the advice, Jeff, but no thanks. I ain't going to be futzing with any DIY pipe repair anytime soon. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, Mark was amazing and a great photo. I love his work in The Pipe Collector. He is always the first article I read. Mark is a fabulous raconteur. It was a very entertaining conversation. Jody Davis music is always welcome, and this tune struck all the right musical and spiritual chords. Your final comments echo the thoughts and prayers of most rational folks. Thanks, Dino. Yeah, hopefully rational will survive. Uh, Smoke Ring 79 says, uh, thank you for the show. I enjoyed it very much as always. Jeff's advices really made me think about several pipes, which I can really improve by changing the stems. I wouldn't dare do it myself, but rather send it to a professional. 
I loved Mark sharing his taste. I also enjoy the diversity of tobacco and was glad to hear that I am not a freak for not finding my one tobacco. He sounds like a great guy. Finally, I share your prayers with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia. Thanks a lot, Elon. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, lots of prayers. And, uh, <clears throat> and if you'll remember back a couple, uh, you know, back a year ago, uh, when I did the seven experts, most of them wanted multiple tobaccos. I was the weirdo that wanted one. Uh, and then Casey Ghost says, I was listening to Jeff Grasick explain how you can improve the smoking characteristics of an inexpensive pipe by carefully widening the draw to let more air through. Criminy, that was funny. It sounded a heck of a lot more like one, like instructions to completely ruining your pipe so you'd have to buy another one. <laughs> if I want that done, I have George Debos do it, not me. I'll second that. Uh, and then he also says, I just love the interview with Mark Dion. He is simply the best. I hope it generates a ton of subscriptions to the NASPC. They deserve it and need it. He is so down to earth and is just un and it, he is so down to earth. It's just unbelievable. You know, he added nothing to our collective wisdom of the lore, but he's just fascinating to listen to. And an added bonus, he talked a lot so he didn't have to listen to you. <laughs> okay, I was kidding about that last part. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Um, listen, the, you know, I get a guest on that knows how to talk. Boy, I'm all about it. Yeah, all about it. So there you go. Comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Uh, more in next week's news, uh, more in next week's uh, mailbag, and uh, rant time's coming up next. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Hi, I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell & Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. Cowboy. Cowboy. As I sit here and I record all these shows in advance, and I'm not complaining, but as I sit here, I thought, you know what, I'm almost rantless. I am almost rantless because of what's going on in the world. We've just survived a pandemic, and now we've got this thing going on in Ukraine. Uh, you know, my hearts go out to everybody involved. I hope everybody is safe. But in reality, I'm rantless. But the reason why is because most of us, and I think a big most of us just want, you know what we want? We want to work. We want to work a decent day and we want to come home and have a few decent comforts, including our pipe. We want to put our feet up and enjoy our pipe. And we want a few friends and we want a small family that we call our own. That's what most of us want. And in this day and time, you know, the past couple of years, that's been hard to have is a small group of friends and a family. Uh, some people haven't been able to go into work so that come home at the end of the day from work has been taken away from them. And now just as we're coming out of this pandemic, you know, or it looks like we're coming out of it, now we have this. So, you know, most people, I think they're, you know, I think they would benefit from smoking a pipe. Those of us uh, that listen to this know that we do enjoy getting home at the end of the day 
smoking our pipe and relaxing and enjoying the fact that we put in a good day and now we get to relax with our pipe and we have a good group of friends through the pipe and we've got our families and that's all we really want just you know just a we want to work hard we want a good reward for it and we want a comfortable place to live and we want friends and family how hard is it to ask for that there we go a couple more to do um anyway uh just remember jdrf auctions are kicking off so email me brian at pipesmagazine.com check out the uh, ken barnes articles on pipes magazine in the forums uh comments questions email me you know happy to love them and i'm all caught up on them as of these shows so <laughs> happy to do that uh thank you very much to ash for joining me from the chaps guide and thank you to fred as always until next time. Clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Everything that guy just says, bullshit. Thank you. <laughs>